0: Mobile Unit 3 at the cave of the 2,500-year-old brewmaster. Sir, I was wondering, how did the expression cry in your beer originate? Well, actually, it stemmed from people weeping in their beer. People used to get a glass of beer or a mug of beer or a Dixie cup of beer in those days. They literally weep tears, salty crocodile tears in their beer. What were they crying about? The beer, the beer was no good. The beer was flat and rotten and it was pink pink beer what made the pinkness the brewmasters of that time used to throw in a flower you know to pep it up you mean beer has not always been the color it is today it's not only been the color it's not been the flavor and the excitement and it, it's not had the spirit of one particular beer which we got around today and i know what the name of that beer is what is it Ballantine. on the nose If you want to start living a life that's livelier, live it with spirit. Valentine Beer. There's more spirit to it. W O R A M and F M, New York. Give them a minute's rest here, Jim, for crying out loud. They're closing in. They're coming in the windows. They're coming in under the doors. Here they come on all sides. I'm ready. I'm ready, by George. Where's my the tobacco? Who put my jug back here under the sofa? But he's ready to do, hide it on me. He ain't gonna hide it on Big Daddy. Oh. I get all warmed up here, friends. Hello, hello there. Mendacity. Mendacity. That's what we're all faced with on all, all sides. And nobody ain't going to pull that mendacity trick on Big Daddy. And I'm here. I'm here to see that everything is kept under control. Yes, sir. The big man is on his scene, looking out all over Jersey. He's got his tentacles deep in, standing up. Big and strong! The old man says, you better. You better, because if you're gonna keep up the long line of big daddies in this family, you gotta stand tall and spit big. Production. Hey, siri, Bob. <laughs> it's Bob. It's the Martha Dean Show coming your way, and I'm glad you're here today. We have a wonderful guest here this afternoon. Well, Shoo <laughs> Magoo. Well, of course we're we're living in times. Bounded on the left by mendacity and bounded on the right by our own inadequacy. How many of you feel that little gnawing worm of inadequacy digging down deep among your vitals? Big Daddy's here. Take care of it. <laughs> of course, we're all looking for Big Daddy in one way or another. Yes, siri, Bob. I, I, you know, that, that uh, that's not a bad idea for, for a, a walking, talking, dragon blues... I'm a-lookin', yes, I'm a-lookin'. I've been a-lookin' all my long, long, hard and weary life. Oh, I'm a-lookin', I'm a-lookin', I'm a-lookin' for Big Daddy tonight. Well, I remember way back when I was a little bitty kid, I was walkin' along the street and the rain was coming down. Yes, sir. in that lonesome town that all of us live deep down inside of ourselves, bounded on the right by the heavy mountains of despair. Hey, that's right. That's, don't don't cut it out, Jimmy. Bring it up. That's very good. That's very good. You just set it back and try it again. There it comes. Very nice. Bounded on the right by the mountains of despair and bounded on the left by that deep, dark river. That heavy-hanging river. What you got on there? You got trains blowing and whistles tooting. That ain't what I'm looking for. What the heck is it? It's very nice, but it ain't exactly what I'm looking for. (coughs) Yes, sir. That's my baby. We'll wait till he gets to sit up. Just bring it in there, Jimmy. What'd you do? Did you get mutual on there or something like that? Heaven's... There it comes. There's the mountains of despair. There's that deep river of existence dark abyss, the swirling void that contains the mystery of life itself. And all of us lonesome travelers, all of us lone solitary figures, walking along that dusty highway of life. Past the silver dollar, past the old generous star, carrying our saddles slung over our shoulders and trailing behind us a thin... Trail of Pepsi-Cola. Yes, it's the Pepsi generation walking, walking, talking, blowing it out their ears, humming and singing, whistling and spitting, along with all the rest of the generations that have passed before. The Moxie generation. There must have been one. The knee-high orange generation. And now it's the Pepsi generation coming along, dragging their tails behind them. And that cold wind of reality blowing out of them cardboard fronts of the silver dollar saloons everywhere. There ain't no turning back. Yeah, and then there's that moment when you know you gotta go. There comes that instant in every man's life when he knows he's got to split, he's got to cut out and he hears them trains a-blowing in the distance. Them trains, yeah, yeah. Them trains are calling him on. Calling him on to those wide open spaces of high imagination. The fly just on the other side of the Hudson Tube. The fly just past Hackensack and Teaneck in New Jersey. It's vacation time, and the man is heading into the deep wilds of the Catskills, heading for, yeah, where many men, men and women are all got the die, die, you know, they're all looking big and strong, and a 17-hole championship golf course is available to you, seven different kinds of cuisine, not to mention, of course, a playpen for all children over 21. Da-da. Holy smokes You want to hear more of that walking, talking? I'm looking for Big Daddy Blues Yes, sir I'm perfectly aware I'm perfectly aware that we are living in powerless times Indeed, we're living in such... The feeling of inadequacy that, that bugs us that down deep inside... Don't put that away. By the way, for those of you who are wondering what's really going on in the West right now, set that back up there, Jimmy. Get, get, give, me, give me my Western music. <laughs> you know, we, we've, got, we've got a real tradition here in America. It's hardly ever spoken of. It's, mytho, uh, it's mythologized a great deal. And, uh, oh, I, I, I'd say probably right now, within the, within the sound of my voice... Right now, at this minute, within the sound of this poor little weak, this poor little wind-driven transmitter of WOR, there are probably 550 22-year-old pimply-faced youths who have never been west of Trenton, who are sitting themselves down to typewriters to write a great western epic. It's a story of men, lonesome men, riding those long trails out into God only knows where. Well, now for those of you who've ever been out there, for those of you who grew up with that, it is it, kind of a different feeling. And uh, I uh, here we have a little note here. Somebody wrote to me. This is make a wonderful TV show in way. You, know, you see all these. have you notice that almost every one of these uh, these uh, these uh, dramas about West, about the West, that come on television, they may be wagon train or rawhide. Or gee, I just thought of a great one. <laughs> <laughs> Great name for a Western show—a single word. <laughs> I'm sorry, gang. <laughs> I've got that kind of rotten mind, but the, it sure would draw an audience. I'll tell you that. You know, I've, I've, I would like to—I would like to raise among my listeners a few dollars. Do you think? Would you like to cast your lot, Jim, with a, with a with a broadcast organization that's really got a vital future? I mean, you know, we here at WOR, this whole scene, I mean, this, is, this, this station is firmly rooted in the past, you know, and it says the family program, the family station, whenever it says the family station, the kind of family they picture is a family vaguely out of the 1890s. Old father sitting there with his vest, you know, and his derby on his knee. And, and Mama is standing up behind there, you know, with her sleeves all rolled up and with a kind of powder all over. You know, she's been kneading bread and all that stuff. And the kiddies are all such wonderful, obedient kids. They're all like grown-up John Gamblings, you know, that kind of scene, you know. Whereas, as a matter of fact, the actual family of today is interested in things which we would not even consider here at WOR for the family. I wonder who's buying all them copies of candy. I mean, they're all family people, you know? <laughs> I was buying all them copies of, I could think of about a half a dozen other things that's sold like, man. So W.O.R. is firmly rooted in the past, I say. Would you like to cast your lot with an outfit that's moving forward? Well, all right. The Whoopi Broadcasting Corporation, Limited, which I am forming, is about to float a big loan. We want to buy a Liberty ship, and we're going to paint it red, white, and blue big Liberty ship one of these you you can buy them up there in the Hudson they've got them all sitting around a couple hundred bucks we'll float this Liberty ship about 15 miles off the coast of Long Island and we'll buy ourselves an old used television transmitter you know you can buy them now you can pick them up on the sticks out there guys that have thrown in the sponge other guys that have bought the new color equipment we'll buy ourselves some real raunchy used TV equipment set it up on board and go on the air on channel six we're just outside the international limit, you see, and we'll call it TV Whoopi, and we'll play nothing but stag films. Now, I think, I think this, this, I think this would get, I, I seriously do, I think this would get a fantastic listening audience. That's liable even cut into Johnny Carson. <laughs> now, are you willing to cast your lot with this little gang out there? This little gang of of decadent dog. Oh, bring it up there, yes, sirree, the spirit of free enterprise. We won't have wowing equipment, Jimmy. Not not there, man. Because there ain't nothing that's more scarier than a stag film that is wowed. Holy smokes. Yeah, the spirit of free enterprise. The spirit that was exemplified by those lonesome ranchers that set out over the sea of grass, over the great plains, and headed toward the bitter Rocky Mountains to establish a new nation to bring into being a new concept of the individuality of man. Yes, Gary Cooper, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, all them fine Western pioneers that laid down their lives and picked up the six guns for us must be honored. The spirit of free enterprise must not stop. And for those of you who are interested in uh, throwing in a couple of bucks into Whoopi TV, you would only be keeping alive that spirit of American independence. That spirit of the American individual against all odds, setting out into unknown seas. We figure about 12 miles off Montauk will do it. Unknown seas, ready to chart unknown courses in free enterprise. Bring up there. It is your patriotic duty. Yeah, that's very good, very good. Yes, sir, that's my baby. Da Yes, you're listening to the Decadence. No, this is WOR AM and FM New York, and we have with us here Castro, Castro convertible. Uh, for those of you who... Uh, they, they insist on that bugle call in there. And they had a non-union bugle player came over here. But for the benefit of those of you who uh, are living in a pad that is too small for the things that you want to do in your pad... And, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I would suggest that you go down to your Castro dealer and take a look at some of their unbelievable Castro convertibles. You know that they've got all kinds of things down there. You wouldn't believe it. They convert... Into a sack. Literally. You wouldn't believe it. They've got a fern plant down there, for example. It's got plastic leaves and little plastic aphids and all that on it. And you press the button, poo, sleeps twenty-two. Just like that. Magnificent fabrics, there are over two thousand of them, and some of these fabrics, by the way, cost over seven hundred dollars a yard. Some of them are so exotic we can't even discuss them on the radio. <laughs> this is Castro. They're moving. And uh, they've got designs, by the way, that range all the way from decadent nouveau art to, uh, oh, some of the designs, I just can't even describe them. But other designs, beautiful, beautiful, clean cut, like a shave at 5 o'clock in the morning with a brilliant piece of cold stainless steel, Castro. All right, now let's... You um, know, <laughs> ridiculous commercial. Let's let's move on here. Uh, we also have Peugeot and um, oh, it's a fine French car and uh, somebody sent me a stamp here that Monaco do you know that Monaco turns out a stamp a beautiful stamp a series of automobiles of ancient vintage pre-World War I automobiles and one of them is a beautiful woodcut of an 1898 Peugeot and uh, it's a beautiful thing I tried to mail that, that that's a nice commercial and for those of you who are looking for a really fine piece of equipment when you buy a car, I would suggest a Peugeot. I drove one for over five years myself until it started to drive me. But <laughs> they do, you know, when they get a little old, they get pretty snotty. But uh, never, especially if they're foreign cars, you know, it's a spirit of independence and, and you know, De Gaulle, the whole scene. But uh, to those of you who are looking for something really different, sliding roof, folding, uh, upholstery, and and one of the, by the way, one of the most advanced engines in the world. It's the Peugeot 2 East 46th Street in Manhattan. How does this sound on FM, by the way, Jim? Listen, listen, listen to the control I've got of this thing. Listen. Listen. I'm <laughs> a Isn't it? You want to hear more of that? All right. All right. Well, any any requests there? Tiger Rag. What was that? Melancholy baby. All right. Uh, what would you like to hear? Really seriously? Tiger Rag. Tiger rag. You know, you want to hear what's really happening in the West. Uh, I've got I've got a great little clipping somebody sent me from this is the the Deep West, by the way, and the in fact, so far west and so much in the Western tradition, that one of the one of the chief headlines of this newspaper is a headline that says, Eleven cutting horses to take show money. You know, and that's the kind of stuff you just don't read in the Times. <laughs> it just, you know, I love to get out-of-town newspapers that have gotten away from the incredible sameness of the syndicated columnist. You know, you can go out in and, and, and many cities in America today, and you can buy newspapers all across the country, and the first thing you see is Dorothy Kilgallen, you know. Uh, then you you open up the paper a little bit, and then who you see Earl Wilson. You know that same silly. Look, then you you, you go a little bit further on, and they're they're the same uh, the same analysts there's James Reston, there's Walter Lippman, and there's you know the whole scene. And you have a, a kind of a buzzing in the air, and you wonder is all the thinking and all the writing and all the ideas in this country done by about nine people? You know, <laughs> it really is true. You know, if you, you, I, I've often felt. That if, if there that right here in New York City, that you can you can you can walk within about a ten or twelve block area right from where we're sitting right now, which is at 1440 Broadway, which is at 41st and Broad, right off Times Square. If there's about a ten block area, actually it's even less than that. I'm being very uh, I'm being very liberal here. If there's about a ten block area. I could go to about I'd say about maybe ten or twelve offices. And within an hour, I could round up, just in that area, I could round up the people who really do most of the talking, most of the saying, most of the analyzing, most of the commenting on everything that goes on in the American life. And then I could herd them all into one room somewhere, take out a flamethrower, and instantly, the American culture would go up at least 15 points. (laughs) I'm very serious about that. Now, now uh, I, I do a great deal of traveling, or I have done more in the past all across the United States, and you do get hit with that unbelievable sameness. Now, that isn't because the people are the same, nor is it because the people in these other cities are slobs and idiots and fools and have nothing to say for themselves. But there has been a change in American life, a kind of, oh, I suppose you might say an abdication. Uh, everybody's kind of given up to the coaxial cable. And, and so they've given up to the to the uh, to the AP, the UP, and the syndicated columnist. And you go up and down the land. You turn on the TV somewhere. You're you're in some little place like uh, Moosefoot, Maine, and you turn on the the, the TV up, and what do you get? Less cream. And he's saying, "Well now, Jacques boy, would you please repeat?" <sighs> Holy smokes, you know. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not. Now, I go all the way up into Canada. A couple of years ago, I spent a lot of time in Canada with a show up there. You know, I go up in Canada and go up into places like Montreal and Toronto up there. Turn on the TV. What do you get? Johnny Carson. And he is saying, and oh, now Josh Akapo, where would you play? Oh, wow. Good Lord. I go to England. I'm not telling you the, 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 how, how nutty it gets. I go to England. I'm sitting backstage with the Beatles. And where are we? We're in Glasgow. We're not even in England. We're in Glasgow. And one of the Beatles says, turn on the TV set. Well, you know, these are deep thinkers. So we, we turn on the TV set and you can hear 87 million idiots out there yelling and screaming, we want the Beatles, we want the, you know, this kind of stuff. And they're sitting around, they're knee-deep in fish and chips and scotch and all that and, and money and everything. And they turn on the TV set and we all sat there slack-jawed. What are we watching? Killed there. Yeah, in the middle of Glasgow, Scotland, at 9 o'clock in the night, with the with the sound of the Bobbies' horses going up and down, yelling and overturning the buses and the Beatles. Oh, yeah. No wonder shepherds come away with a surrealistic vision of life. <laughs> That's right, my vision is very different from, 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 say, Arlene Francis, who lives a very ordered life. I'm serious, you know. <laughs> And I might say also the editorial writer for the New York Times, who probably doesn't spend much time backstage with the Beatles in Glasgow uh, to see this weird uh, stuff going on. You know, well, this kind of abdication is everywhere you go. Oh, yeah. I go to Sydney, Australia. All right. All right. okay, Sydney, Australia. So Shep's in his in his hotel room. They got a TV set there. He walks over, turns on the TV set. And who do you think is grinning out at me? With those 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 funny teeth, you know, with the funny look on the eye, with the with the sequins all over the coat, Liberace, Liberace, I come all the way to Sydney to see this. He said, and now for for my mama, oh mama, she's out there, oh, and all of you mamas everywhere, I just know you're going to love this. Oh, and I know, oh, oh isn't it fun to be here in the candles? Oh, oh, my head starts to buzz. You can't escape it anywhere. Liberace, He's just off the barrier reef now. And the sharks are and there's no place to go though. I think Liberace's at the end of the line, you know, one more step and he's in the Antarctic. Uh, <laughs> and I presume that if 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 I was if I was able to get to to the Antarctic, you know, and I had a transistor radio and I was to turn it on, I'll bet I'd get boop, 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 monitor New York Central. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's a great relief, you know, to pick up a paper and say, 11 cutting horses to take show money. Kind of like that, you know. It's yes, a showdown, Mitzi, owned and written by John Israel of Harmony, Oklahoma, won the Open at Oklahoma CHA show held in the Gale Edwards Arena in Pawnee. Buster Bustle. Ridden by Bentley Sieg and owned by Alan Frieda Knight, all of Skiatook. Tied for first, the $1,000 novice with Bar H.K. Pixie. Ridden and... That sounds kind of nice, you know. I love the great names. Now, you want to hear what else is being is going on down there? All right, would you give me a little Western music in there, Jim, please? Report from the West. Bring it up there. I don't care if it... wow. <laughs> Hey, that ain't West, after you've gone, you see, I work like a machine, eh? and not forgotten, oh, after you've gone, ta-ta-ro, ta-ta-ro, you'll feel blue. All right, that's enough of that. Now, here is a note from Fink, Texas. Those of you who are Western fans, Fink, Texas. Every Fink present at the celebration of National Fink Week, Monday at Fink, Texas, population 12, 14 miles northwest of Denison, receives a free catfish dinner, the mayor, Joe Allgood, has announced. A flock of dignitaries was scheduled to be present, including Jude John Fink of Bug Tussle, Texas, according to Allgood. Jude Fink is fighting mad about all the discrimination against Finks everywhere and may have a fiery speech or two to deliver concerning the misuse of the word and the honorable name of Fink. Early arrivals for the event included about 200 people and two finks, Fritz of Pottsboro, Texas, and Oscar of Denison, Texas. Local finks from Fink, Texas, had not showed up for their free fish as of late Monday. They are boycotting the whole affair. Although no governor of any state has officially declared June 20 to 26 National Fink Week, Herschel P. Fink of Davidson, Michigan, chairman of the Fair Plan for Fink Committee, is going right ahead with the national coordination of Fink festivities all over the country. He claims that the week is necessary, not only to make the country realize how badly they have mistreated Finks everywhere, but also to restore dignity to a good name. Fink, Texas is naturally, of course, the best place to have the Fink Weed celebration since it's the only town in the country to carry the name, and incidentally, it is overrun with a weed called the Fink Weed. That's where it got its name. Originally, the name of the town was Georgetown until residents applied for a post office. Since a Georgetown already existed in Texas, government officials, without even questioning them, without even coming back with a fair referendum, named the community Fink after the weed and also after the name of the man who signed the application. So now Fink Texas has been stuck with that name ever since and it's just fighting mad. (laughs) So there you have a report on what's happening in the West and wouldn't that make a wonderful, a wonderful rawhide, uh, a wonderful rawhide uh, episode? Now I suppose they don't have anything about the modern West in rawhide, but can't you just see all these guys in 10 gallon hats standing around in that hot dusty sun of Texas? with the wind blowing off the Pecos River. And they're all standing there with their 10-gallon hats and their long, lean jaws and their big, fat wives with their, with their checkered Gallico dresses and their big, flowered hats. They're all standing there under that hot breath of Texas wind. And you hear in the background, da 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 da, da, da dee dee And there you see that fiery-eyed man up there, Osgood Fink. Osgood, big, left, high pockets, Fink. They're looking down at the crowd, and he says, I want to talk to residents of Fink everywhere. All you people in the good town of Fink, time to rise up against them northern Yankees and against those eastern dudes who have hung upon our fair city the name of Fink. All you folks know what Fink means? What a great episode. You got to play by Rip Torn and have Jerry Page be very nervous. She's the wife, you know. And she says, please, Osgood, don't stir up trouble. Please, Osgood, please, Osgood, don't stir up trouble because this town is turning again. You you know, there's a lot of sheep ranchers, a lot of people here named Johnson, a lot of people named Smith, and they just don't like you talking about their town like that. Well, I can see these. (laughs) Now, now, you want to hear, I'll I'll tell you another little bit here. It it carries along with that. Now, we in, 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 uh, in the East and I must include myself now because I'm afraid I've been thoroughly easternized. We in the East don't often really uh, contact the rest of the country anymore. We just wait for the rest of the country to contact us. And that's part of this business of one-way communication. Has it occurred to you, Jim Rilla, as, as a man who lives all of his life here in New York City, that almost all of the communications in this country is really a one-way operation? Yeah, we send it out. Now, by we, I include also Los Angeles, which is merely just an extension of Madison Avenue, O, and MCA which is all way over here on 7th Avenue. I could take you to the office right now within an out, within an 10 minutes from where we're sitting here at this minute. And almost all of the communication in this fantastic country, which is, by the way, probably the country with the biggest technological set of, of uh, conditions going for it. In other words, we have a communication system here that is second to nowhere in the world. There are like 4,000 radio stations all across this country. There are... Well, maybe maybe two thousand television stations are close to it. There must be by now. Certainly, there's well over a thousand. We have networks. We have record companies. We have uh, we have things. Uh, well, we've got it all. In other words, we've got all the equipment. we have got all the wires. We've got everything. We have got coaxial cables. And what do we do? They're one way. One way. Once in a while, a little show, a little show, some little program will sneak out of some other place, but it will be disguised to look like it's a New York show, so that it doesn't scare the rest of the country. For example, the Mike Douglas show. I wonder how many people know this is a strictly Cleveland operation. <laughs> I mean, this is Cleveland all the way, you know? And, and they're very careful, kind of, to hide that. They don't come on. and now, once again, from the heart of Thrive in Midtown Cleveland, we bring you... No. They don't do that. They And you notice they have all the same New York guests on? They're just on their way to L.A. See, they stop off and make, you know. They, and, and so everything has to look look pretty. And that's one of the reasons why things in this country, by the way, I would suggest uh, to anybody who is, uh, who is in the, the radio or the television business, and that also includes, incidentally, the publication business. I'm talking about magazines. I would very respectfully, and I don't want to tell anybody his business, but uh, I am in mass communications, and I know something about it, and I would very respectfully suggest that one of the reasons why so many of the mediums are dying in America is because of the sameness of those mediums. There are a dozen magazines, for example, on the stand today that print article after article by the same guys they just make the rounds you know you pick it up you one week he's in this magazine he's in the next magazine and the, the, the same cartoonist uh, are in them, the same editors because they trade editorships back and forth. It goes, you know, one day one guy's working at the Saturday Evening Post and he quits, he gets fired. The next day he's over at the, at Good Housekeeping and then he gets fired and then the next thing you know he's on Reader's Digest and so it begins to have that wonderful peculiar sameness of ten thousand plates of Jello. Now I don't know whether you've ever eaten a lot of Jello. I have. I my, my mother was a Jello nut. And and uh, you know it, yeah it doesn't make any difference almost uh, Jello has vague variations in flavor but not really <laughs> I mean yeah uh, it's very hard to tell the difference between cherry Jello and raspberry Jello uh, and that to me is the way most magazines are the difference between cherry Jello and raspberry Jello. And you'll find one week all magazines will do an article on Cassius Clay. Just like automatically, they're on the phone saying, Are you doing the uh, yeah? Well, are you doing the Cassius Clay bit for next week? Yeah. Well, I didn't want to beat your your time, Charlie. You know. And the next thing you know, they're all Cassius. Clay. Or next week there's a whole big thing about uh, Norman Mailer or the whole bit. You know. Or next week it's all James Baldwin or so on. Down the line, next week all space. Have you noticed that there will be three magazines in the market on one weekend? Will have their special New York issue all one weekend. Now, why? Well, because these guys all sit around, have lunch together. Half of them started the New York issue for one magazine, got fired in the middle of it, and went over to the other. They just took their work with them, and a whole slim. It's really a very curious, very strange thing. Now, I would like to suggest to people in television, uh, particularly, that one of the reasons TV, you know, TV is in trouble. We all know this. Uh, I hope this is not a trade secret I'm, dis- I'm, I'm displaying, but television itself is a trouble. I'm not talking about the station, uh, an individual station or an individual network. I'm saying TV itself is in trouble. Millions of people just couldn't care less anymore. They just ain't turning the television on anymore. And now these are not intellectuals. These are not people with great uh, artistic uh, tastes or pretensions, but they've just seen it all. I mean, the av- even the average klutz out there, who at one point it was considered, you know, the average klutz, had an insatiable hunger for westerns and medical shows. He had an insatiable hunger for panel shows, you know, with Yaja Gabor on them. He, all of a sudden, ain't there anymore. <laughs> he just is not showing up. Now, he's not saying much about it. You know, this is what they're finding out. television. He's not saying much. He's not writing letters to TV Guide. He's not writing letters to, to CBS or NBC or Channel 9. He just ain't there. He ain't home, that's all. And so they call him up. You know that they're finding more and more. This is a new big thing that's happening with pollsters. Nobody home. Now, it's not a matter of calling up and they're watching the wrong channel or they're, uh, instead of uh, uh, listening to or watching Johnny Carson, they're watching channel twenty eight or something like that. They're just not there. They have to call hundreds and hundreds of phones now to to make up what they used to get in 20 or 30 calls. You aware of that, Jim? Nobody's home anymore. Well, now, uh, <laughs> they ain't not to stay home for, really, is what, what it boils down to that the people are going out more and more. You remember years ago when fr- television first came on people used to say that there was a medical problem uh, that developed in the early 50s. In fact, I remember talking about it on a show, a medical problem that they were talking about and calling uh in a in a slang way they were calling a TV paralysis. And a lot of doctors were getting people who were sitting like eight hours a day, just sitting there. They'd, they'd sit eight hours a day in the office. Then they'd come home and sit down eight hours a day and stuff themselves with, with potato chips and hot dogs all night, you know, and drink beer. And, and by the end of a year of this, sitting eight, 10, 12, 16 hours at a stretch, just sitting there stuffing yourself, they began to develop a peculiar kind of muscular condition. And this was called TV paralysis and was hitting guys in the hips and, and ladies were beginning to get, when they'd stand up, their back would hurt hours on end and kids were developing and all that. And it was called TV. Well, they don't have that problem anymore. And, and you remember when people used to think that, 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 uh, that man uh, would, would soon develop a single eye in the middle of his forehead? Uh, that that like like the fish in the cave, you know, after so many eons in the cave, he developed no eyes at all, he lived down there in the blindness, you know he doesn't doesn't need him anymore. they say that they they used to feel that man would eventually develop one eye in the middle of his head, you know that 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 because of television, well it ain't working that way because nobody's watching it anymore, which I think is a great uh healthy you know a big healthy trend, it really is. But now, for the guys in the television industry, that is not such a healthy trend. They would argue, no, you're, this is a bad scene. Well, I would say that the reason this is so is because they are doing they are doing the same things over and over and over and over and over again until the point now has been reached when they are out of touch with those people in Ohio and Indiana. You know, the curious thing about it, you watch a show, and you'll say to yourself, and we here in New York, we'll watch this show, and... and and uh, you, you talk to the producer and you talk to the director. And uh, they all are firm in their belief that, sure, they say, well, of course, we're, we live in New York and we don't care about this kind of, this kind of oat burner. I mean, uh, actually, it's all, you know, this oat burner stuff. But after all, they, they, this is for the people out there. You know, they, they dig that out there in Indiana and in, in, in Wisconsin. No longer. It's not working that way. And so what really is happening is that most of the shows that are on are being dug only by the guys that produce them and the people who are countless people watching to see what this actress is doing this week uh... what uh, what what this actor is doing that week have you noticed that most of the television guide type magazines no longer talk really about programs they talk only about personalities what's jim arnest doing this year uh... what's uh... what's richard chamberlain got for next year and so on they've given up the idea of programs uh... and and different concepts and now it's the personality they discuss because, after all, that's about all there is on the show, you know, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the networks. Now, what, what I think this results from is a one-way dialogue. That, uh, that, the, that even though many men come from the Midwest and from the Southwest and from the Northwest, many men come from these places to New York or to Los Angeles to work in television. They immediately begin to work in television in the New York way uh, or in the, the way that the, that the people think in L.A. Now, I would love to see a weekly show. Wouldn't you like to hear a weekly show from Seattle? I don't know anything about the Northwest. I would love to see a show come down, occasionally down the pike, from, say, uh, oh, let's say Augusta, Maine. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be fascinating to hear those different dialogues and dialects and different attitudes. I would like to hear a show occasionally come from New Mexico. And I don't mean that Today show goes there and puts it on. That's not what I'm talking about. Because you get the same Hugh Downs uh, tapioca grin. (laughs) You know, the same... uh, 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 you know you know what i 'm talking about. the same scene goes uh, so so I would love to see this I, and that 's why I pick up a newspaper you know and it 's great to read about the... i don 't care anything about these cutting horses you know i don 't know any of these people that are riding these cutting horses, but gee whiz, what a, what a wonderful breath of fresh air it is to suddenly run into this to to, to know that there is something in the world besides Juliet Prouse. Uh, Being written above about endlessly, or Ava Gabor by Earl Wilson, you know, it really is a great feeling. Now, uh, the thing that surprises many foreigners when they come to America is to discover the undiscovered America, which to them is the America that really uh, is totally unknown. That's the America that lies between the Hudson River and the Rocky Mountains. They're fascinated. Absolutely not knock. Cho- you know that uh, many people claim, and, and I want to get, maybe I'll get a little political here though, many people claim that one of the reasons why Nikita Khrushchev, Khrushchev was booted out was because after Khrushchev had visited the United States, he came back to Russia with a totally different view of this paper tiger. You see, they had formed the idea on the basis of movies from New York and movies from L.A. And all of a sudden, Khrushchev is walking around in an Iowa cornfield. And he can see that sky a million miles away. And he can see surrounding that sky, and as far as the eye, he could see these fantastic fields that just went on and on and on and on. Wouldn't you like to see a show occasionally come from Joplin, Missouri? You ever been there? Well, I've been there. Have you ever been in the foothills of the Ozarks? Wild country, Dad, I'll tell you this. Uh, wouldn't you like to see a show once come from the Indiana dunes? How many of you know what it's like in northern Minnesota where it gets so cold, believe me, that brass monkeys don't have a chance? I'm serious. Uh, wouldn't you like to see a show come from northern Wisconsin? You ever seen the Eagle River up there? Where the great muskellunge are fished for by those strange, furtive Wisconsin Indians? And they catch them with nets way up there in the icy cold, just with the just at the edge, where just the faint edge of that great Canadian northern wilderness begins to dig down into the States. Wouldn't you love to see how many of you know what the Sault Ste Marie area is like? Never heard of it, huh? You ever heard of Mackinac Island? Beaver Island? You ever hear of those places up there where all the Great Lakes come together? That's wild country. How many of you would like to see a show coming down, say, from the Thousand Islands? Wow. Yeah. You know, wouldn't it be a breath of fresh air to get away just once from Rockefeller Center or the MGM sound stages with an endless succession of Richard Chamberlain's and Dick Boone's galloping over an endless succession of dusty MGM hills, on and on and on, and a countless succession of showbiz guests sitting there talking to Merv Griffin endlessly. That's my idea of a new kind of hell, you know? A new kind. (laughs)